You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Earn and Invest Podcast, where we have next-level conversations on financial topics. I'm your host, Doc G, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorite issues, fintech. If any of you are a certain age like me, you remember crowding into the car with your parents to pull up to the drive through bank teller. You stuffed a wad of cash in an envelope and handed it over. Or maybe, like my family, you sat with the Wall Street Journal, yes, the actual paper, spread out over the table so you could look up stock quotes. Then you called your broker on a corded phone, there were no cell phones back then, to make a trade. Well, the world has changed. Financial technology or fintech has made it easier than ever to save and invest, yet has also removed the barriers for those with little knowledge to make significant financial decisions with the push of a button. Is it a bane or a boon? The next best thing or a passing fad? Let's talk about it today. Rosetta Bryson is the founder and CEO of Simple Trader Pro, the largest Black-owned financial technology company in America, where she decodes what is often experienced by many people is an inaccessible system. Rosetta is leading the charge in expanding and diversifying the fintech space, a field where few Black founders exist. Rosetta, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. This is an exciting conversation. Accessibility is so important, and technology is the language of young people. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that. Brendan Lee Young is the co-founder of Passive, a portfolio management tool that is designed to help self-directed investors manage and grow their wealth. Passive manages over 20,000 accounts on their platform and is on track to hit a billion dollars in assets. Brendan, it's nice to meet you. Hey, it's thanks. It's nice to meet you as well. Uh, thanks for having me on and looking forward to share my knowledge of the fintech world here. Yeah. And last but not least, Joe Salcihai is the co-creator and host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, which has been dubbed the greatest money show on earth. His forthcoming book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, will be available at the end of the year, but it is already flying off shelves in pre-order. Joe, what's going on, man? 
I am so happy to talk about this with you, Doc. You know how you know how much I love nerding out about uh, new technology on our phone. Like this is going to be this going to be great. So, Joe, let me start with a real basic and simple question. I hate to say this, but when I first saw the term fintech, I wasn't exactly sure what it meant. Is there a simple definition? Oh man. Yeah, I I don't know what the simple definition is except that it is these there are these apps and these web creations that automate the pieces of your financial life that can be automated so that you can think about the you can think about the important stuff. I think about some of the people that are the big thinkers in the time management space and how people get more done. I'm thinking about people like Laura Vanderkam uh, and they talk about how you have a battery when it comes to decision making. There's only so many decisions that you can make before you run to exhaustion. And what happens with a lot of people is they spend their whole day making these small decisions that, frankly, a computer could be making for us, and you never get to the big stuff. So if we can delegate the big stuff to what's you know people term fintech uh, or delegate the small stuff to what people term fintech, then we can just focus purely on the big stuff that moves the needle. Rosetta, talk about that a little bit. Tell us what need in the market did Simple Trader Pro fulfill and why was the technology an important aspect of it? Um, technology is, was absolutely crucial. It just sent people who had never had an opportunity to trade. Um, it opened their eyes to it. And so before there was a game stock, an AMC, a meme stock, before any of that, I created a company that whose whole premise was to give access to people, especially people of color, who had never traded before for various reasons. So the reasons were they didn't think they had enough money to either trade or invest. They didn't think they knew the right people. They didn't understand what a brokerage company was. They, there are just so many reasons that left them out of the loop, not to mention some institutional stuff, racism that left people of color, brown, black people out. And even though brown, black people are people with so much you know, money to spend, they were never given the opportunity. So here we created um, several years ago before it became a phenomenon. We created Simple Trader Pro, which was an access link to give people who had never traded before an opportunity to learn what it was and get in the game. And so it has been a game changer. Brendan, what Rosetta is talking about is inclusivity. You know, by the name of your app, Passive, we're really talking about passive index investing. This is a group that I believe traditionally has been left out of the fintech space. Tell me why you created Passive and why the technology played an important role. You're quite right in the sense that like passive investors aren't seen as profitable segments by most um, wealth management firms. So if you think about it, you're either paying uh, a wealth manager. Well, in Canada here, you pay about 2% per year for a actively managed mutual fund um, versus let's say what robo-advisors charge you, which is like, I think it's like 50 basis points plus the, the cost of the underlying ETFs in them. And so basically, um, if you don't know how to invest or what you're doing, you can either use your bank's mutual fund or you can use a robo-advisor. And of course, the robo-advisor would put you in a passively managed solution and you know your, your bank's mutual fund guy or gal, they just try and fail to beat the markets when they invest your money. And so passive investors, uh, I call them like financially woke because we understand the benefit of using low cost diversified 
ETFs. And the best way to do it is not to necessarily use a robo-advisor, but just to buy them at a traditional stockbroker online. But the problem is, is that historically, stockbrokers, their tools are more catered towards active day traders. And so you'd you'd see brokers offering advanced charting tools or market data, but there, there's no sort of portfolio rebalancing tool that helped you to manage a, a handful of ETS passively. And so if you're that segment of user, what you're actually doing is you're using a spreadsheet and you're basically using that spreadsheet to help you balance your portfolio's asset allocation. And so that was sort of the problem that myself and my co-founder had. He had six accounts managing all of his family's assets at one broker, and he had to use this really complex spreadsheet and keep it up to date. Um, for me, I I had like one one account at the time that I was managing, um, and I had to like hide from my boss during the day to place trades <laughs> because the markets were only open at like you know a certain time, and so I had to like basically trade on my lunch hour and, and hide from my boss. And so basically, the problem of having to use spreadsheets to figure out what trades I need to place at my online broker um, was the main sort of point of friction that I had when I was investing and trying to follow along with my strategy. And so this problem uh, essentially is what led us to create Passive. And so (laughs) long story short, we built Passive to solve our own problems. And then we posted it on a subreddit forum and found out that there were tons of other passive investors that had problems either tracking their portfolio's performance, rebalancing their portfolios, allocating cash to their portfolios on a regular basis. And then, of course, if you are trying to invest in a tax-efficient way, how do you take all of your accounts and structure your portfolio in a a holistic way where you don't... um, essentially need to use a very complex spreadsheet to rebalance it. And so that's sort of what Passive was designed to do to help the financially woke DIY investors build their wealth over time using software at their own broker. And so we're not a robo-advisor because a robo-advisor would actually like do that questionnaire and put your assets into ETFs or a portfolio based on your answers to a question, whereas our software is catered towards like DIY investors who know their portfolio's asset allocation. They know what they want to hold in it. They just don't want to have to use a spreadsheet to help them keep track of things or figure out calculated trades. And that's sort of what we are doing right now. I like seeing, by the way, Doc, the, the just the breadth of things. I mean, R- Rosetta with helping people trade, Brendan helping people be more passive. Like on the, you can see how technology helps across the entire spectrum, but it's even more than that, right? I mean, th- th- there are uh, uh, budgeting apps and tools that make it automatic to save, and I don't know, it's the it's the breadth of ideas. Brendan, I I think made a good point when he said he was trying to 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 solve his own problem i feel like for a lot of uh a lot of us the place to start isn't starting with what's out there it's start with what problem are you trying to solve and then there's somebody like rosetta or brendan that that may have already solved joe but it begs the question you know the technology is changing but has earning, saving, and investing changed at all? I mean, I go back to the days of going through that drive through bank with my parents. Are we really doing anything different than we were doing 20 years ago? 
No, we're just doing it faster and getting to the more important parts faster, I think. You know, there are these there's these people in the there's these people in the do-it-yourself space that I call broke professors. They know all the rules, they know everything about investing, optimizing. They they've spreadsheeted everything to death and yet they haven't saved a dime, right? And you look at what the most important thing is to know is how do I actually get money saved? That's number one. And then second after that is then where do I where do I put it? Um but there's a lot of people that focus on focus and spend their time on the wrong stuff. Yet you think about how easy it really should be to automatically hide money from yourself to get it saved. When you think about that, you think, okay, well, if I could just automate that, like my 401k does it work? If I can find apps that will help me automate that and will help me put money in the right place or will teach me exactly what I need to know about where to put it, uh, I can then focus on those million dollar questions instead of the 50 cent questions. I feel like we were, you know, when you and I were growing up, uh, those, we, we had, to, we had to focus on a lot of those, those questions. Rosetta, as I listen to this conversation, it starts me wondering who fintech really appeals to. I mean, is this, is there somewhat of an age bias? I mean, is this a young person's game? Are we really speaking to the baby boomers and the older generations with our fintech offerings? You would think that it's just for young people, but let me just say this. There's a lot of people who never had the opportunity, who have worked nine to five all their lives and have never had the opportunity to learn. So those are the people that are coming to Simple Trader Pro also. Let me just say this about uh, Brendan's strategy and passive. I love that, number one, because everyone that comes to me does not want to learn how to trade. They do not want to be traders. You know, I teach trading, but the investment part, that's where a lot of people that are older want to come to. They want to manage their own money. They don't understand. They're never giving the information. And so we do have both sides of it. We focus on the trading. Um, so I love what you do. I love how you've created it. I do want to say this. It's not just a young person's game, um, but especially in my case, I have more uh, people that are middle-aged in it because they've never been given the opportunity. We've never had access to, a lot of people do not know what a broker was, much less, you know, asset management. Uh, so they never knew that. I grew up, I ended up uh, going to grad school at Emory. And when I was there, I met a gentleman. He said, oh, my father is, you know, my father, my father, you know, runs a, runs a hedge fund. And I was like, well, can I work for him in the summer? Can I intern? That's how I got in the game. And ended up working for this hedge fund, which was bought out by Black, BlackRock, and so when they had these Series 7 traders who would come, they would come uh, having got their license. They didn't know how to trade. They were green. They didn't know anything. They would send them all to me. And so I would teach them how to, to trade on the floor. So I say this to, um, to everyone here that's listening. What an opportunity it is now where you can sort of cut out the middleman and get right to it. But I want to say you need both the investors, long-term investors, and you do... For those who have been left out, I think trading is, you know, an optimal opportunity if it's done correctly. Brendan, as Joe and Rosetta pointed it out, you know, fintech is making it much easier, but is it making us smarter? You know, that's a good question. Um, is fintech making us much smarter? Hmm. I'd say it depends. Uh, it depends on, on, I guess, like, what do we mean by smart? Um, like, like, for example, like 
for for us, like like the people that use passive, they they already know what they want to do. They know they're going to do it for a long time, so they're not necessarily like trying to beat the markets. They're just trying to literally deal with the mechanical aspects of carrying out their investment strategy for the next 20, 30 years. But on 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 the flip side, I think what 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 fintech may do is is help with behavioral things. So I'll give you an example. Like like we know a good uh, personal financial habit is to pay yourself often um, and pay yourself early. Um, and so you always want to be saving towards your investments. But if you got to go through all of these friction points to actually do things that are in your best interest, are you going to do it? So so I guess my point is is that I think what what fintech can do is help you do the things that you would normally do better faster more con- you know more conveniently um and not necessarily that it makes you smarter because like i i have users that would use passive to balance their portfolios but then they would still message us saying hey um i i i want to i want to hold gamestop in my portfolio but um i wish you can do this thing for me and so like in in my world like I we we know it's safer to do balanced fund investing using diversified ETFs, and so when we get users saying, "Well, I wish you could you could basically do an advanced trade with the assets that aren't part of my balanced portfolio," could you tell me when to enter, when to sell? You know, I mean, to me, that's something that someone that's a bit more advanced would probably use Rosetta's platform to do, and so they they have basically that convenience factor but they still have to level up on their own and and basically learn learn uh, you know um different strategies that can augment their balanced fund investing one so i don't think it's necessarily making people smarter i think it's making it easier for people to do the things that they were doing previously uh, more seamlessly Let me reintroduce the panel. We are talking to Brendan Lee Young of Passive, Joe Salcihai from the Stacking Benjamins podcast, and Rosetta Bryson from Simple Trader Pro. And we are discussing fintech. I'm Doc G. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals. And let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. On this episode, we'd like to give a shout out to Unify Money. The big banks spend billions of dollars on advertising each year and create special acquisition incentives and promotions to attract new customers. And you know why? Because they have to. Because they offer very poor value for customers' deposits. The separate accounts and functions make it purposefully complex to manage money. All these expenses, advertising, branch costs, etc., have to be paid for. Unfortunately, it's the customers that foot the bill through low interest rates and high fees. A typical bank retains over 90% of what they make from people's money. Unify Money aims to give 90% of the money back to users. It has been created to provide people with a better way to manage their money. Unify Money offers a single solution that includes everything you need for everyday money management, including saving, spending, and investing. Unify Money has optimized your personal financial management to make it effortless, maximizing passive income via interest and cash back and creating long-term financial assets through investment automatically and by default. Unify Money makes your money work for you, not the bank. If you want to learn more, check it out. Go to earnandinvest.com slash unify. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash U-N-I-F-I and check them out. Joe, I'm reminded of what happened recently with fintech and i'm wondering if there is some danger to the advanced technology we have lately let's talk about gamestop gma and robin hood i remember reading recently in the news the story of a robin hood trader who made lots of money in gamestop and gma until they realized that they had so much capital gains taxes that they ended up quite a bit in the red is there a danger to having such easy access, Joe? Uh, I think there is, and I and I think that that's an extreme. It's definitely an extreme example. Are we talking about the trader who who uh, ultimately killed himself. Yes. Yeah, and and the sad thing there too is that uh, the, the the app was giving him the wrong information, and he wasn't in trouble uh, like he like he thought that that, that, that he was. I do think I was in a um, recently uh, uh, executive education course on social media and just really there is a social piece to this. Um, and I do think there's some regulation coming down the, the, the pike. I also think that you know, Robin Hood just got slapped with a big fine for running afoul of regulators. And just to be clear, they didn't say that they did anything wrong. They, they agreed to, to pay a fine and not have to admit any wrongdoing. But that said, I think there are some aspects of gamification that are, that are dangerous and make us do things that we might not, uh, might not want to do. In some ways, I find it exciting because we're reaching people with these meme stocks like GameStop that maybe we wouldn't have reached before. And they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to get, hopefully, much less than what happened to this gentleman, ultimately, they're going to get a, a slap on the wrist. They'll, get a, they'll have some negative experience that happens. But then hopefully they start to ask why, right? Because I think the big question is, 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 why did I mess that up? How did that not work right? And then they start learning that I need 
I need data. I need, uh, I need to trade with, uh, with some sort of a strategy, not just of when do I get in and when do I get out? And by the way, this doesn't have to be based on the stock. It can also be based on just your goals, right? I'm going to, I'm going to leave the money alone until I get to X number of years before my goal. And then I'll begin, you know, using that horrible turn, I'll begin landing the plane. Uh, I think there are some dangerous pieces, but I think it's far more dangerous to, to, to not ask why and ask how and to get involved. I think the way we learn anything is to have a little bit of risk. Rosetta, how do we mitigate some of these dangers? Are there protections baked into Simple Trader Pro? How do we help make sure that the ease of the platform doesn't encourage less than thoughtful financial moves? I want to go back to what you said. Does it make you smarter? I think depending on who you're with, it makes you smarter. My main people, and we've had thousands now come through Simple Trader Pro, I've got people who have never traded before. So they do not know what uh, um, a trailing stop is. That when they get in the when they get in the trade, they can have a trailing stop. So if the stock comes down, it automatically stops them out. And man, they didn't lose any of their principal. If they use that one strategy every time they got into a trade, um, they would never lose their principal. But who's teaching them how to put it in? And so the educational piece comes in, like we run our daily pre-market, like just like you're on the stockroom floor. So our pre-market includes um, the IPOs. It includes the SPACs. It includes... It includes, you know, every earning that's coming out pre-market and aftermarket. It includes what the aftermarket, what happened aftermarket, what happened pre-market. So we're teaching that information, not just how to trade, how to get in and out. It automatically makes you smarter. It automatically makes you more brilliant. It automatically teaches you things that have gone over your head in regards to the market um, that you've never paid attention to before. Now, in regards to um, there should be some baked in um, tech. I do think so. If you're going back to the gentleman, the young, and it was a teenager who lost his life um, trying to sell options and he couldn't read it correctly. He couldn't read the options that he wasn't even behind. He didn't even owe money. But if you read it, and I know this because having been on Robin Hood and seen it, it could be read the wrong way. I hope his parents are, are, are understand that. I'm sure they'll settle with them because it was read the wrong way and the opportunity for to read it the wrong way was there. And so if you're not training, you're just doing it, you know, helter skelter, you're gambling. If people will say, well, it's not gambling. It's not gambling if you know what to do. So I say this, there has to be some tech included. Uh, we make sure that within our system um, that that is included in the educational port. That's all we do is we teach people how to trade and how to make money. I say I can do three things. I say, I can teach you to trade anywhere in the world. I can teach you to trade and never lose your principal, actually do it. And I can teach you how to trade your way out of a bad job into an extraordinary life. But there are principles, there are texts that you have to use. And you and we make sure, you know, uh, that, that, you know, the mitigating factors that would cause you to go backwards and not forward, that you're looking out for those. Just to piggyback on what Rosetta's saying, because she hit it right on, Doc, is that there's there's two levels of of learning, um, and the first level is just showing people what to do. So this idea of there's a there's a trailing stop loss, uh, and and making that available and putting it out there for people. Uh, allows people that are just beginning to have these things automatically applied and they get to learn where the guardrails are. And for a lot of ways, this is, this is how kids learn. In fact, uh, uh, 
uh, mostly is that we show them through socialization exactly where the guardrails are. And then there's the second area, which Rosetta also talked about, which is adult learners want to know why, like, why do we have that, that, that stop loss. So for people that are just beginning in in investing, whether they're kids or adults, a lot of the time giving them the very simple whys, while you still put some of the advanced guardrails in place so they don't get hurt is a great way to begin uh, uh, just fleshing out what Rosetta is talking about. And then second, is then as they get more advanced than giving them the whys on why these guardrails are there in the first place, I think is, is, is super powerful. Brendan, let's talk about some of those guardrails. The interesting thing about fintech is there is a social aspect to it. Do you think that users are learning from each other as well as the app and the platform they're on? I think, I think so. We don't just live in the fintech age. We live in the age of the internet, right? So that means to me, knowledge is everywhere. Um, you can learn on a Reddit sub forum. You can re- learn from a blog article. You can learn from a YouTube, um, influencer. So I think like, especially in the context of like the whole GameStop AMC debacle, um, I think that that people basically they get their informations information from the platforms that they frequent and so yeah it's it definitely impacts you and then like like let's let's talk about bots right how do you know when someone is like hyping a particular cryptocurrency or a stock that they're a real person right now there's no way to sort of vet if someone's actually the person or is who they say they are if they even hold a particular stock that they purport to have right like how do you know that so i think that it's it's like that that information isn't necessarily tied to like a a one particular platform it's just out there in the ether and um you'll get it when you visit sites but at the same time you also need to think about well like who's putting out this information and why are they putting it out there are they a real person how do you validate that i think um that's something tech could help with and so I, I guess my point is is that like there's there's no one right answer. It's just this whole thing with different moving parts and players. And to live in the world of tech, you kind of have to not just take everything at face value, but you also have to dis- use a bit of discernment. Joe Brendan is talking about vetting socially the people you listen to and believe. Let's turn that around a little bit. Financial technology, it's become a big business, right? I think fintech companies raised something like $12.4 billion in the U.S. in 2018. I think that was the most recent stat. How do we know as consumers, how do we vet these new apps and platforms and make sure that they actually have our best interests at hand as opposed to their own? Man, is that, is that very, very, very difficult to do? Um, I think you have to do the same thing that you do in real life, which is, uh, you have to compare services. You don't just take somebody's word for it. I think you go and you look at competing services, but I think 
I think you can always second guess yourself. So if you begin with your end in mind and what am I really trying to solve, number one, and then number two, ask yourself, what's the downside of, of this platform? So as an example, something I would expect uh, from, from someone like uh, uh, Brendan as an example is would be bank level security, right? So I need to kind of know how that works. Um, and then uh, with, with Rosetta, as I'm learning about how to trade, I think that, that a key part of that platform is, is the why is, is not just how do I put these things in, but why am I putting those in? And that's the powerful piece. And if I don't want to know that, or I'm not interested in bank level security for, I don't, I don't know why I wouldn't be interested in one of those <laughs> things, but, but if I'm not invested, then I don't go to those platforms. So I think I begin with the end in mind. Then I see the people that do that. I also have to, and this is the scary thing because to Brendan's point, social media is so much more manipulated than I think any of us think that it is. Um, and I've learned a lot lately from the course I mentioned that I've taken just how much, uh, talking to some people on the front end of this, just how much manipulation goes on of us uh, when it comes to deciding what we, what we do. But man, doing a bunch of a bunch of of um, of 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 reading and finding a lot of different sources of information of people that have used this tool before and how they used it and what they liked and what they didn't like and I know as a guy that creates stuff doc like you do well like Rosetta and Brendan do that you know some of the negative reviews about your platform you're like really <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. That has nothing to do with anything. But I think still you got to read through those and you got to you got to then make a judgment. I don't think you can I think we're way past time when you can just go, "Oh, that's a name I kind of heard of or this is what I want and just jump in." You're going to have to do your due diligence. One of the things that I think is important is um not only doing your due diligence, but having the platform because of platforms like us, people promise stuff all day. Um, one of the things that we do is the social media part is people want to be able to uh, contact or speak to somebody. It's very hard on some of these apps that where you get no response or it's only through the app or a bot. So people get very confused that we still have real people talking to you. Um, and one of the things that I do at Simple Trader Pro is if you if you want to see what we do live, I give you a few days in. We, our biggest part of us is not just the training part, but we have a live trade room on the trade room floor, pre-market, bing, 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 the bell rings. We're live. You see our live trades. You know, you have to sign a confidentiality, non-compete, non-solicitation agreement, but um, you are, you are in our room. You are trading live. It's just like a live trade floor. Um, We're giving you the best information in terms of scanners, just as good as what's on you know, any, any, uh, floor on wall street. So I think that being able to show who you are, not just say who you are, is making a difference, uh, in the FinTech world. Brendan, can we parse who in the end is responsible? I mean, we brought up this case with Robin hood and the mm-hmm. person who made some mistakes and ended up committing suicide. You know, these are strong, powerful tools, but ultimately is it the fintech company that's responsible for change or is it more buyer beware? Like you're using the tool, you're responsible for doing it diligently. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Like basically um, our responsibility is to build our product in a way that 
basically users can't harm themselves with. So we have at passive, we take that duty of care um, for our users. But at the same time, you as the end user can't just trust that a company will be a good actor. You also do have to take a bit of that onus on your own as well. So I don't think it's that responsibility lies just in, in one person one person's hands and i'll give you an example too like like for example let's let's look at i'm not going to call the name out but i'm just going to say types of apps let's let's talk about budgeting apps that rely on screen scraping technologies right so you as the end user you need to understand what that means so when you give your username and your password to an app that's using screen scraping technology what are they doing with it? They have your username, your password. They're logging into your financial institution with their bot, scraping your data, taking that data and serving it up onto their website. Now, back to, to Joe's point, you, you're looking for as the end user, hmm, bank level security. But what does bank level security really mean? It means that they've maybe um, taken the time to encrypt their databases, their servers. They, they do all the stuff that banks do to protect themselves with maybe like some added layers of encryption. I'm not a tech expert, so please don't hold me to it. But my point is, is that if, if, you, if you're using an app that's a budgeting app and they are store, they're requiring your username and your passwords to get data into their platform, is it really secure? And how are they dealing with that data? Yes, they're going to do as much as they can to keep your 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 your, your information secure, but breaches happen. Um, and so you as a user, I think, should really read their terms of service to understand exactly how all of this is going to play out and not just trust the fact that on their website they say, we use bank-level security. And conversely, on our end at Passive, we use something called open APIs. So what that means is, is that an API is just basically a safe way for our platform to connect to another broker's platform. And so we, we, we basically took the decision at Passive to say, well, we're only going to deal with parties that, that have allowed us to integrate with them in a very secure way through this API. But the average person doesn't even know what an API means. So will they understand that Passive is not storing their, their username and their password and all of that stuff? Probably not. So, so, I mean, on one end, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? I said, I was thinking as you're talking, Brendan, not to cut in here, but, but that, that just knowing the definitions, right? Knowing what some of these terms are is half the battle as well. Essentially, yeah. 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 And Joe, I mean, on the Stacking Benjamins podcast, you have interviewed quite a number of creators of fintech technology. How often do you think user safety is right there up at the front of their mind as they're creating their apps and platforms? Uh, I think it's up there for everybody because I think that that the um, and when I say everybody, I mean, responsible creators. And I don't know how I'm going to be able to define this, but but but, but that have a certain. Uh, well, let me say this, just the, the last thing I think doc that any creator wants is to show up on the front page of the wall street journal that they gave away the house to, of everybody's, everybody's <laughs> security. Right. I don't think there's, there's creators out. Certainly there's going to be some people, uh, that uh, on the, on the bottom end of, of anything that are there just to get the quick take. But I think if you're dealing with an app that's been downloaded 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of times that uh, you're going to deal with a creator that that does not want that. They really, at that point, with that many downloads, they're looking for an audience that um, that they know is going to trust them. Let me reintroduce the panel. We are talking to Brendan Lee Young of Passive, Joe Salcihai from the Stacking Benjamins podcast, and Rosetta Bryson from Simple Trader Pro. And we are discussing fintech. I'm Doc G. If you've been listening to this show and trying to figure out how do I increase my top line, one way is through real estate. And when I want to learn more about real estate, one of my favorite places to go is the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. This podcast is all about how to use real estate as an asset class to get ahead towards financial independence. There are two types of episodes, one in which the coach himself gives you all the tips and tricks on how to make money in real estate. The other is where he has guests, proof of concept, real life examples of people out there like you and I making real estate work towards their financial independence plan. It is a wonderful podcast. I hope you check it out. Go to coachcarson.com. Again, that's coachcarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Rosetta, I've heard you say that one of the reasons you created Simple Trader Pro is to decode inaccessible systems. Tell me what that means and what you feel like the experience of people of color have had in the United States with investing. How can technology make that better? I am a Black person, so I can speak to a real-life situation. I think um, that we have, there is, whether people want to believe it or not, there is institutional racism when it comes to um, especially when it comes to investing. Um, if you, the um, market in the United States, Wall Street churns out $4 trillion. There's $4 trillion worth of investing a year. If I can tell you that less than 3% of that is in the hands of black people, then there's a, there's a disparity there. So there's a disparity there. When I was trading, uh, when I was at hedge funds, I was usually always the only black woman there and sometimes the only black person. So there is a disparity. And it's not like um, we can't invest. We haven't been given the opportunity. Doors have not been opened, whether it's through the local bank where people come in and say, I have some money. They're not pushed towards investing. They're pushed towards something else, whether it's been where people of color have not been given the same uh, with great credit scores, have not been given the same uh, because of underwriting they and where they live, they've not been given the same opportunities in terms of, you know, lines of credit, ex- things like that. So when you have that, there's already a, a written in disparity. And so people are careful with their money. Now that fintech is available and people want to trade on their own, they feel like they don't have to go to an institution. They can do it online. They can do it through an app. They can do it quickly. Now it's an educational form. So my people are coming in. Again, they're not just, you know, you know, the baby boomers or, or young the generation Z or X or Z, they're coming in at 40 and, and 35 and in twenties and saying, how do I get in the game? And so we teach you how to get in the game. This is an opportunity for this particular community to build generational wealth. It has never been there. No one has talked to them about it. So we, we, we scoop them up, we educate them, but then we say, this is how you can 
connect almost connects to Brandon. This is how you can have um, take some of your money, do your own ETF, which we love, and uh, buy your own ETFs and leave it, sit it, and this is where it's going to make money. This is how it's going to grow, et cetera, et cetera. Can I give you an example of what has happened to one of my uh, one of my lead traders? This is what happened. He comes, he he's part of Simple Trader Pro. I've traded with him for years. And when I said I was going to start Simple Trader Pro, he was like, let's do it, let's go. Then then he realized where he was. He thought he had one um, IRA, and it turns out that his company gave him two. He took all the money out of the Roth IRAs, put it over with a broker as an IRA account, which means you can trade out of it, but you you cannot take it out without penalty. The first day he traded out of the account, his first, not the, his first trade, he made more money than he had made in the previous year of sitting in um, the IRA account wow. that someone else was managing the first day, the first trade. So I think education is everything. And that's an example of how it could work for people when they're educated. Uh, Rosetta, I, I spoke recently to the uh, president of the largest black-owned bank in the United States, Terry Williams, over at One United Bank. And she was talking about how they set up on the banking level, how they set that up uh, for people of color. And there were some things that they do specifically because of the audience that they're serving. Is there something that you do specifically because of the audience that you're serving that's that's different than if you're serving a different audience? I probably have our um, trainers give them more time and more access, but I need you to get up to speed because it, let me just say this. We were word of mouth. We, when we came out in 2017, we were word of mouth. 90, and because of the business I had previously been in, 99% of our people, our first year, we had a couple thousand people. 99% of those were we're not people of color. And I said, well, what are we doing? What are we not, what are we not doing? How come we're not finding the people? Um, and how come, but I want them to be at the same speed as everybody else. So it's a, it's part of it is, is getting them in there, showing them, teaching them, and probably just spending a little bit more time because the people are ready. They're geared to go. They have just been looking for the door to access the opportunity. So when we provide that, um, and then you have to get over, and I will say this, sir, we have to get over the fear of a system that has abused them now, now here to help them, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. Yeah. Brendan, let's look at it on the whole. Do you think fintech is going to help us do better than our parents? Are young people today going to have an advantage? Are they going to learn how to invest better? No doubt, for sure. Um, that's just the function of knowledge, access, um, free stock trading apps, uh, <laughs> tools like Passive, uh, platforms like what Rosetta's built. Um, podcasts and you know um, bloggers like like even this platform look at it we're talking about about leveling up financially yeah we're talking about fintech right now but i'm sure a lot of people that listen to this this show or your, your shows they learn a lot and we live in the age of information and knowledge is just there and i mean it's just good knowledge it is bad knowledge but um you're exposed to it at at such an early age and it's just so all over the place that absolutely you're better off. No doubt. If you, if you can pass, if you can pass through um, good and bad information. um, Yeah. That's my only caveat. 
Joe, you and I have known each other for quite a while. And one thing I know is you always have about a thousand browsers opened on your computer at one time. Tell me what fintech apps are sitting there open on your browser right now. Uh, I, uh, I am in love with, uh, different budgeting solutions. So, um, right now through, uh, uh, Ally, I like, I like two things through my savings account. Number one, the ability to do buckets and to have one savings account instead of three. I think that that is, is super powerful for me. I also, uh, like things that help me organize the budget more easily. So I actually use two different, two different ones. I've got a nerdy one that I'm always experimenting with called Tiller. And I have one that is much more automated, uh, Marcus Insights, which used to be, um, uh, uh, used to be a different app that was designed by Michael Dell. They sold it into Marcus Insights and they, Marcus did a great job of putting uh, a lot of those same, same pieces together. So when it comes to just getting money in more easily, anything that helps me round up uh, uh, purchases, anything that helps me hide money from myself, anything that helps me find bills and subscriptions that I might not have, might not have had. And lately, a lot of insure tech stuff too. You know, on top of really the investing that we're talking about here with Brendan and Rosetta, um, even on insurance, some of the the companies like uh, Hippo or Lemonade, I found to be really compelling because they've taken these systems that are so antiquated and and you know it used to be that you would, well, I was just dealing trying to deal with recently a, a person at Allstate, and he's asking me these questions that I know that fintech companies don't ask anymore because it's public information, and they can very easily not have me ask this question that nobody, frankly, is going to even look at the answer to. They're not going to take my word for why do you why are you asking me the question on the application if you're not not doing that? So I don't I I don't have a um. Uh, anybody in the insure tech space. So that tab's not open right now. But in terms of where, what I'm interested in, I think there's a lot of room on the insure tech space also that is pretty exciting right now. Rosetta, besides Simple Trader Pro, what is some of your favorite fintech? Uh, let me just agree with Joe on the ins- uh, insure tech space. Um, I keep a lot. What In December, I, I uh, purchase a company and we do AI. Um, I have my own AI company now. So I take on 13 more employees and I do um, artificial intelligence. So what happens for me is if I see a company and it's it runs through um, a test that we've created, I'm going to run that test. I'm going to see what the company is. I'm always trying to be ahead of the, the game, i.e., um, I think they had something in the Wall Street Journal maybe a day or two ago about uh, EV companies even um, electric vehicle companies, the how the electric market is even growing. It's growing in terms of the people who do all the lawn care. So we had already known that and invested uh, before it became public knowledge. Um, so that's my, I don't keep uh, 10,000 apps up, but I keep um, my um, algorithms up that, that are meeting my standards so that so that I can be just sort of ahead of the game in terms of what we're looking at, you know, um, trade and investment wise. We are joined on stage by Karen, one of our Stacking Benjamins producer. Karen, you had a question? Yes, I was just wondering um, where you think all the fintech is headed next. What's what's next? That is a great question, Joe. Why don't you tackle that? 
Oh man, I think my opinion where it's going next is probably worse than <laughs> Rosetta and and Brendan as uh, as as creators. Because, uh, and I actually think, and why don't I? I'm just going to hand this off to Brendan because Brendan, something I'm interested in is all this talk about how the world of passive may change over time, right? As and I'm sure you've seen this as more people passively invest that you're putting the uh, corporate governance in the hands of fewer and fewer people. You know, Rosetta talked about BlackRock earlier. You've got somebody at BlackRock, somebody at Vanguard, and maybe somebody at uh, uh, what's the third one? iShares that is that are that are really handling a lot of the voting now. Is the Brendan? Do you think the world of passive changing is what's next? Yeah, for sure. I, I think personally, people. <laughs> now, now I'm I'm saying this, making a few assumptions here. One that brokers really step up their game and and have. Uh, better quality APIs. Right now, there are only a few brokers in the US that have really good APIs. So I think those are the, the ones that stand a chance to win. But once you have a- open APIs with fractional share trading, what you have is essentially the ability to build your own personalized indexes. And so um, I could see a world where people take their favorite ETFs and strip them of the companies that they don't like or personally believe in. And then basically, have their own index funds, which, which could disrupt how like these larger firms that vote, that, that own ETFs and vote on, you know, decisions, the, the, the whole things in the ETFs themselves. You know, I, I could see a change in that dynamic for sure. Um, I also see, uh, an opportunity for finance to sort of like decoupled from the way it is right now in the sense that like, you, like, like basically, uh, I see the future of wealth management being software. And so the concept of an ETF mightn't really be there in the next 50 years. Like that's sort of like my sort of take on it. That's exciting. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. And one thing that I was totally excited by too is Rosetta, you were talking about AI, artificial intelligence. What role do you think that's going to play in the future of fintech? Um, the reason that I got into it is because um, this trade room I have has been making a lot of noise, and that's what put us on the map. The way that we were we were pulling stocks, people want to label you as a whale or this or that. We had institutional traders sneak into our rooms that that would buy the the trade room. They wouldn't come to learn; they just wanted to see what we were doing in the trade room. And so, um, as we got more into it, I began to see the value of it. I saw the value of it about two years ago. I worked with a company that was helping me build out. Every time I wanted to build out some new area in terms of trading, they helped me do that. And then I'm understanding that the company was going under because I was their main client and there just weren't many people. So I purchased the whole company and the employees. And so I think that enabled me to then do it every day. It is tremendous I think, um, as as Brendan said, the things that we used to rely on for banks and brokers, you're going to be able to do it in-house. Um, the need for them is going out the window. So not only are you going to be doing your, you have your own ETF, I believe, and it's not going to be a long time, I'm far off, that all of these, um, the danger is the fintech companies that are making deals with the SEC to be on Wall Street, et cetera, et cetera, they're going to have to start making deals with a lot more people because a lot more people are going to have the information and the technology um, and that that is comparable to that 
to that on Wall Street. Can, can I say one thing here? Um, basically, I think I, I, what I meant is that I, I basically think the brokers that the, or financial institutions that that uh, that have the mindset that they don't need to necessarily own the entire ecosystem. Um, they're going to be the ones that are successful because traditionally you see, you see these, these big banks, they're, they're acquiring companies, they're acquiring fintechs and they're trying to build it all so that their platform could be the one-stop shop. And I think it's, it's, it's a sort of flawed premise because really what you want to do is be open so that as many companies can build on top of you as they like. And so therefore it sort of, means that you have to focus your time on maintaining and keeping your infrastructure on and always running up to snuff um, and less time trying to integrate various companies into your bloated ecosystem that that's already there. Like if you think about like using a bank, right? Like, like or, or, or a broker that's owned by a bank, like you got to tab through a bunch of different things just to do the one thing that you want to do. So as as they continue growing bigger and acquiring more companies, is the experience going to be more clunky? I would think so because that's sort of what my experience is with my bank in Canada is right now. So the notion that it's going to get more easier is actually not there. And I think the better approach for financial institutions is actually to invest in good quality APIs and recruit really good partners that could be interoperable with your platform. Um, and that's how you're going to win because these partners are more incentivized to dive deeper into the problems of each segment of your client. And so it's a kind of radical way of thinking. And I think the, the financial institutions that queue into that are going to be the most successful ones. Are you talking, Brendan, about, about tra- really having – I'm going to use a term from other areas. Are you talking about like having translators, like people that can bridge the gap between where the non-tech public is and the problems they're trying to solve and where the tech is and making that onboarding process and ease of use better? I'm I'm just talking about like just making, making, making your system open. And so like, for example, like, like we built a company because a broker in Canada had an open API. We had, we used their API to solve our own problem because we're, we're, we're techies, we're developers. It's to me, these, these types of innovators are going to self identify and they're going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to want to build interesting things on top of their platforms because they have their own problems. And, and so I think it's just a matter of literally. Not necessarily like scouring the earth and trying to find people, but just just having your systems up to date. And I'll give you an example. Like let's let's look at Plaid, right? Plaid takes your username and your password, and they basically sell it to other fintech apps to power their to get data into their apps. Well, that's great, but at the same time, like they're basically screen scraping or relying on on business to business relationships with these large banks what if these banks just had open apis to begin with then there's no need to have a third party intermediary developers would just build on top of their platforms without having to pay a third party like plan oh that's powerful so you're going to accelerate the 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 amount of innovation that happens without having the intermediary like we bootstrap passive right like like we aren't VC funded. I'm, I don't know if people consider me black, 
BIPOC or whatever, I'm mixed. Like if you see me in real life, you can tell what my ethnicity was. But essentially, like if you're trying to build a a a, a, a solid company, you you got two sort of way two sort of ways to do it. Either you've got really deep tech, or you could raise a pile of money. <laughs> if you look at where where um, the cash has flowed from the VC world, it's actually to certain certain groups of people. And, you know, I mean, by having open systems, it sort of doesn't matter your ability to raise money. It just matters your ability to code and find users because platforms are open. M- much more democratization. Yeah, we're talking democratization and the acceleration of innovation. While none of us can exactly read the tea leaves what is clear is that fintech is here to stay. Those days of the drive-through banking and the scouring of the newspaper for stock quotes are probably gone. And ultimately, I think that's a good thing. Before I last ask my last question, the question I ask at the end of every podcast, I want to give one more opportunity for anyone in the audience. If you have a question for our panelists, Please ask to come up on stage and we will have them answer it. In the meantime, Brendan, tell us what's up next in your life and where we can find you and interact with you if we want to know more. Yeah, sure. Uh, If you want to interact with me, you can search for me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. I'm also on Twitter at Brendan Lee Young. Uh, You follow Passive at Passive Team. So we spell Passive without the E at the end. So that's P A S S I V team um our website is passive.com p-a-s-s-i-v.com um in terms of what's next for us like we've 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 built a really solid platform that's stable um you can rebalance stocks etfs even cryptocurrency on some of the cryptos that crypto exchanges that we support so this means that we've built a lot of integrations uh with with platforms that are open and i think what really excites me is actually like using these integrations to maybe help other fintech apps build really delightful experiences that aren't necessarily tied to passive investing or um what we're doing with our app so like i i kind of want to explore that in the next 12 to 18 months to see if the integrations that we've built here at passive could help other fintech companies build really delightful experiences that that go beyond just read only um just one way sort of integrations where you just get data into your platform and you can't do anything with it so yeah rosetta what's up next in your life and where can we find you online i'm on twitter and we're on simple trader pro is on ig uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me at those three place, places. Would be glad to connect with with anyone that's listening to the show, or and you can also go to simpletraderpro.com. So, having said that, um, we're doing a lot in the AI tech world, and I get excited. I'm one of the few people that gets excited uh, to go to work every single day because I see other people win. I get to see people win, and so that's my excitement. My excitement is to grow that out and grow out our platform. So I can't say much, but some of the people we've talked about here today, no names mentioned, maybe not that sort of rhyme with Robin Hood. That's all I'm going to say. Um, we're, looking, we're, looking to, we're looking to do that in a very huge way, but with the, 
with the net that doesn't allow people to be harmed. And so um, that's, that's all I can say about that for now. But um, that's the direction we're going. And Joe Salcihai has a book on the Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management coming out. Joe, tell us where we can pre-order that book and what is going on in your life. Well, thank you so much, Doc. And also, I want to echo what Rosetta said, meeting uh, you and Brendan today and talking about this and just hearing not just your enthusiasm, but expertise always just keeps my engine fired uh, talking about this stuff. Uh, Yeah, the, the book is... It's exciting. It comes out December 28th and every author will tell you that pre-orders are so important to the success of any book. And it makes a wonderful after the holiday gift for everybody that messed up their, <laughs> messed up their money over the holidays. Uh, it's the super serious guide. It's called Stacked and it's the super serious guide to modern money management, which it's really geared for people in all different stages. We talk about how to stack your first Benjamin, then how to build a stack of Benjamins, how to protect the stack, and then how to stack stacks on top of your stacks of of Benjamins. All good problems to have. But uh, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacked if people want to pre-order it or go to wherever you pre-order books, uh, any of the bookstores out there. I I love independent booksellers. So, But any place uh, is a great place to pre-order. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, I'd like to thank Brendan Lee Young, Joe Salcihai, and Rosetta Bryson. That's a wrap. And I'm going to have you guys stick around, if you would, for the after show. This is a chance, again, for anyone in the audience who wants to come up asked to come up on stage it's that two lines and the lower left hand of your app in the meantime joe rosetta brendan fintech it's here to stay i feel like part of the issue is that anyone who doesn't invest in technology nowadays will be lost in the future So the things that we used to have old ways of doing, for instance, getting on the phone and calling your broker, aren't even going to be available. Joe, you and I have talked a lot about this, too, because I am a laggard. As I was asking you what you had open on your browser. (laughs) A laggard puts it mildly, man. Yeah, I was embarrassed to say that if you asked me the same question, I'd have to like scratch my head and say mint or personal capital. But the truth is, I, I, I find myself falling behind and Joe is always pulling me forward. It is fun. It, it, it's so fun. And I keep telling you to come over to the dark side, man, just just playing around with some of the solutions people have and hearing the enthusiasm from creators like Brendan and Rosetta is, is half of the I don't know. It's a blast for me just keeping up with what's new and exciting going on to make our lives easier. Rosetta, do you have those childhood memories of of bending over the Wall Street Journal looking at stock quotes? Because I know I definitely did with my parents. Nope. Nope. And I'm going to tell you, 99% of African-American families did not. You know, there were some that did, you know, but but it's a whole different generation. And the generation was a work generation. You got up, you went to work. And if you come from a people where you're just trying to make it to the next paycheck or, I mean, that wasn't even on your agenda. And because of that, society sort of put people in, in categories. These are the workers. These are the these who will always work and maybe end up with something, maybe one house. And, you know, I'm a big thinker. I'm a big think. I'm like, you should have one house when you, 
you should have the first house your parents give you out of college, maybe a condo. You should have that dream home you get with you, get married. You should have the the one that you plan for that has, you know, the 25, you know, the 25 foot inch marble cut on the diagonal with the (laughs) sub-zero. You should have that. And then you should have a beach house somewhere so that you can rest. I'm a believer in owning four homes. But but if I don't, if you don't drop that into people who have never seen that, and that's why I said, and I'm not trying to take up all of your time. That's why I said, what a great deal for me is to go to work every single day to see people win and, and begin to dream again. And so this is what I think my company does, allows people to dream again. So I hear you. I, I loved uh, what Joe was saying and Brendan was saying um, he's much more tech uh, uh, complex uh, with the passive. Uh, but I just look forward to, um, again, meeting all of you all again, but but having the opportunity to explore it a different way. So I hear you. And can I say this to you, Doc? I hear you and I saw it. My, my family comes, my father was a Marine. We traveled all the time. So when I went to schools, I went to predominantly white schools where the kids did go to college, where the kids did go to, go to, um, go to college and read the Wall Street journals every day. But this was the line, if I could just say this, this was the line of demarcation for me. When I first went to Emory, my parents shipped me off. There's like all they could do to ship me off with one little bag and go to school. Oh my gosh, you got into Emory University. Got there, big, huge gym. Could you imagine some some child looking up just like, where am I? That never seen anything this great. And then there was the gym where you, back in the day, where you, you know, registered for school. There were two lines. There was a line where you signed your life away. And there was a line next to it where people were there with their parents and the grandparents. And they would get up to the front of the line. They would whip out an American Express and pay the whole school bill off in one fell swoop. The child was free. They would go, boom. And I was in that line where I had to sign 18 million copies of something and sign myself away, my life away. That was in grad school. So I say this to you to say, I thought to myself at that moment, how do I get in the other line? How do I get in the other line? And I have made, and and it comes, if no one has ever talked to you about wealth, savings, investment, it is all so new. But that was, that was my trigger point. Now, how do I get over there? And why aren't my parents over there? Well, and this is what scares me now, Rosetta, is that for a lot of people, the technology divide, right? I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about how cool some of this fintech is and yes. how easy it makes it. But there's this divide of people that that, that don't, don't have the resources. And, and now it's becoming, and it always has been a resource game, um, <laughs> but also uh, but also an education game. But now, man, now it's a technology. If, if you don't have access to that technology, the chance to get left behind is is that my fear of that is greater than ever. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it has to be accessible. And I don't um, believe in the government handing me anything. So if we could, I always say this, what you, what you know, no one can take away from you what you know. So I need you to know it. I need, I need people of color to know it because if you know it, there's nothing that anyone can do. So let's teach you in a way that you can learn it, you can know it and it can work for you. And I so love that um, what you're saying about about um, the stack, the stackings. I love that, by the way. I will get the book, pre-order the book today. <laughs> and you. I am going to tell everyone uh, on Tuesday, because there's already done, my pre-market's already done. Uh, I will tell everybody on Tuesday about the book, um, because I think it's so powerful. 
because if you, I'm a believer, if you can do it one time, you can do it again. If you can birth that thing one time, I don't care if you lose it all, you can do it again. So, so congrats on the book. Rosetta, do you think things are getting better? I mean, you know, one thing with the Black Lives Matter movement, with everything that happened in 2020, we talk a lot about civil and human rights. Are we talking enough about financial rights? Um, my concern is that they're going to dummy it up. You know, Goldman Sachs has this whole program where they're giving a hundred million dollars over what fifty years. They could do that in one year for for African American women and companies, et cetera, et cetera. But who wants to jump through those hoops to get it? Um, my company, um, I've been asked to sell my company three times um, by invest versus versus. You can, you know, they see the the potential and the good in it. I'm not selling it. But will you be a, a, a venture capitalist there? I think Brendan mentioned it, that we're not given the same opportunities in venture angel investors and venture capitalists. I still don't know who to set in front of. The, it has been just grace that people, big people have heard of our company and then and and sent people. And then they, they're like, oh, my God, it really is real. So I, I, I hope they're not just dumbing it up for the press or the media. It is real. Um, can I just say this? Because I was an activist when I was young. I was over my uh, student government in grad school, undergrad. I was the president of the student government. So I was actually the no justice, no peace girl. I was out there. Um, but let me just say this. I realized at one point that if I couldn't meet them, the power is in, you know, the power is connected to money's connected to power. And if we can't compete there, we can't compete everywhere. So my what people know me and they hear my quotas, if you level the trading field, you level every field. Every field is leveled um, because it's a power structure. And so I I hope my hope is that um, where people are able to open doors, that they play it forward and open those doors, that it not be on any one person because this is generational um, that has come down from years, 400 years of slavery, on and on and on. Um, but I think if the doors are open, please open them. If you have an opportunity personally to open a door, then open that door because you can then say, I helped a generation of people uh, to come up from, from that type of oppression. So I get excited. Uh, uh, I, t I feel lucky, Rosetta. I've gotten to talk to, I don't know, you're probably familiar with John Hope Bryant. Yes. And, and I talk to him maybe about once a year and he just gets me so That's excited. Well, you know, and when he says things like, you know, go be as, be as, be as racist to capitalist as you want to be, just realize <laughs> if you bring more people along for the ride, you will actually make more money. So yes. I can't, I can't change what's inside of you. All I can do is show you the math that if you bring more people along, we will all make more money. Yes. Yes. And it's the truth. And <laughs> so it, it, that's, that's very, very powerful. <laughs> I, I wonder if fintech can be one of the forces of good in this field. Cause um, like you said, if it gives people the opportunity, can we improve the financial outlook? I mean, we all know about the numbers, especially in the U S about net worth among different communities. And it's a huge, huge problem about how we're going to make that better. I mean, there's no way you can look at the numbers and say this is a personal problem. This is a societal and governmental problem. But we don't seem to have any solutions, especially on the financial side, of how to improve things, especially for these communities, which are traditionally low net worth communities. 
And can I say this? Can I say this to that? One of the things that when people are confronted with it, oh, my company has a history of it or that. So what they try to do is they try to throw what I call, they try to throw a little bit out there, a little bit out there uh, to people. Because it's, it's, it feels like guilt. Let me throw something out there. Let me help a few people and say that we did it. Versus the more biblical way is to let me teach you how to fish. Let yeah. me teach you. And that can never, again, that can never be taken away. There's a scripture um, a version that we that that's within the black community that money answereth all things. So while we are while we are um, talking about empowerment, we need to be empowered wealth wise, and then we can walk some of the other things out. Brendan, is it? We've been talking about the United States. I mean, is it the landscape different in Canada? Well, I've I've had the experience of growing up in both Canada and also well, growing up in the in the Caribbean. I'm from a small Caribbean island called Trinidad and Tobago, um, and also living in Canada for the past eleven years. And I see I've I grew up in a poor neighborhood. I like so within my generation, I was able to like leave Trinidad, get a degree, start a company. That's not something someone in can just do within the space of a generation. You need help. You need, yes. you, you need, you need a lot of, um, luck. You need good mentors. But I think the biggest thing is knowledge, right? Um, and so like I, I was, I, it was that as you were talking, I was thinking like, what has been the one thing that sort of really helped me to level up? And it's knowledge. Because if we have knowledge, you can have the power of discernment and, to determine whether this app is good and help you, whether this person is giving you good information uh, because you yourself have, have like sought that knowledge. And so um, basically like I, I kind of see in Trinidad, our problem is not there being like there, these systems of like oppression because we in Trinidad were colonized by the British and then they gave us our independence and we did our own thing. So um, our issue is really about dealing with building wealth and how we see money in terms of saving versus getting government handouts or um, l- relying on on government to to support us. And so in Trinidad, we had this heavy reliance on the government and people would get money and spend it and not save trying to build wealth. Um, so I think what I what I learned in Trinidad was more around well, it's not about consumption; it's about saving. Um, and then using your savings to invest. And so not many people really knew this, but I sort of like had the, the water shed moment when I used to play a lot of blackjack. And one day I was like playing black. I was like in my twenties, right? Really early twenties. And, uh, basically I, I found that I'd make more money playing blackjack than I would at my own job. And, um, that's awesome. Well, I mean, like, like, I mean, like in the context of like in the, in the Caribbean, you get free drinks in the casinos and, and so like you can also get free food. So if you go in with, with $200 or 500 Canadian TT dollars, like, you know, like you can, you can, you can have a good meal, drink some premium scotch and maybe you win some money. And so like that sort of was my thinking until one day, um, it was three o'clock in the morning. The guy next to me is losing $50,000 and the dealer on the blackjack table is taking his money to pay me with my measly $25 bet on one sort of hand in blackjack. And I was like, Brennan, what are you doing here? Like, why are you even here? What, what are you going to do? Are you going to be 50 years old gambling with this guy next to you um, on a first name basis? And the dealer is still paying you with his money. Like this makes no sense. So I, 
I basically started looking at what else I could do with my saved up money. And I realized that investing was the way to go. And so that's sort of what prompted me to come to Canada. So in Trinidad, we have a problem with saving money. And I think in Canada, just like the US, the problem that I saw amongst my friends when I got here was debt levels. So basically, to me, if you don't want to be a slave, don't go into debt. Debt equals slavery in my, in my world. And so like how I saw things. I mean, and when I had conversations with friends in Canada, you'd, you'd often hear about them making one bad decision, which was essentially going to school and then dropping out because they signed up, got a, a nice loan. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then they, they, they either drop out. And so they can't really like, they, they, they basically, owe money for no reason or on the flip side they they took a loan did a degree realized the degree that they did doesn't really help them level up to where they'd like to be financially so then they take a second loan and they go back to school and so now you have such a a, a high debt burden that you're you're pretty much screwed because you're basically paying money to this financial institution that lent you the money to go to school and so I basically think that the, there's no one path to happiness or life. But if you don't want to be a financial slave, the first thing you got to think about is how much debt are you going to have? And if you do hold debt, what are you going to use that debt for so that it turns into an asset and not a long-term liability? And that stems all going going right back to your approach, your mindset, the knowledge that you have. And so we could we could have all all the tech. Tech, technology at our disposal if if we don't have like knowledge or common sense or a bit of both like let's lump that up to knowledge then or the right mentors um you're not you're not gonna do well and then you if you, even if you look at it at people that do do well um what do their kids do with the money that they've inherited and that is also tied again back to knowledge and mentorship um and so i guess my point is is that if you don't want to be a a slave to the system, you got to start with knowledge and then apply that knowledge accordingly. Yeah, I like that. Knowledge and technology, hand in hand. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.